Alec Manoa is on some kind of heater, and the Toronto Blue Jays aren't doing so bad themselves. Recording just before Thursday's 1-0 win over the Red Sox, Mitch Bannon and I, Ethan Diamandis, break down some early overreactions and predictions based off the Jays' season so far. We'll also take a look at our takeaways from a minor league trip down to Buffalo last weekend. From SI.com's Blue Jays coverage, you're listening to the Inside the Blue Jays podcast. Ethan, we're talking here now after kind of a rare stinker from the Blue Jays so far. Uh, we're talking after the Wednesday 7-1 loss to the Red Sox just before the Thursday game. And since it's been a rare stinker, that means there's kind of been a lot of good stuff to talk about and a lot of good things to overreact on, I would say. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to kind of start with our bold predictions or our overreactions to the first, I believe, 19 games of the Blue Jays season. What is your kind of first big takeaway? Yeah, the nice part about doing some positive overreactions, it'll be a good contrast to what we saw on Wednesday. That was just kind of an overall sad, slow game. A couple of cool firsts, though, right? We saw Ghost Kei Kato first hit, uh, Tyler Heineman first hit in, what was it, 1,000? 600. <laughs> You're selling me short. 617 uh, days. It just maybe felt like 1,000 for him. And then the Vasquez Blue Jays debut, the Francis MLB debut. It was, yeah. After that, it was yeah. quite depressing, though. Yeah. Anyway, back to the, back to the positive. So Alec Manoa is going today against, uh, against Garrett Whitlock. And, you know, hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this, uh, Manoa will have had another excellent start. And it feeds into uh, my bold prediction this year which is that both Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman will finish top five in the AL Cy Young voting. I love that one. That's great. <laughs> I think if you based it, if the season ended today, I think we'd get it. Um, they've both been excellent. Gosman, especially, he's been absolutely flawless. Um, Mitch and I were just taking a peek at his Savant page before, which is quite, quite pretty uh, and pristine. So the biggest thing for Gosman, though, has been his lack of walks. I mean, no, no walks through his first 95 batters face. Uh, that's a Blue Jays record. Um, we were looking at his FIP because he's just been like FIP man, right? No home runs, uh, all strikeouts, no walks, which apparently isn't good enough to earn a zero FIP. Yeah, but the, we had to figure out what the FIP formula was. There's a constant in there that's giving him a couple, not full yeah. uh, credit for his FIP. So not full credit. Um it, it, it just looks like the AL East is not ready for his splitter. I mean, like we've seen that in the 100th percentile whiff rate. We'll tell you that as well. Um, so I have Gosman as a top five Cy Young winner, probably above Manoa, I think, based on my overreaction here early in the season. Um, but the Cy Young recipe is really just like consistency plus durability, uh, which is probably what every pitcher wants, regardless of if they're shooting for a Cy Young or not. Um, so, uh, you know, you kind of need like based on last year's results, like at least 170 innings, 175 innings, I think is probably realistic and like a sub three, two, five ERA like that. Maybe, maybe a little bit lower than that, depending on uh, actually, well, offense has been down this year. So maybe we'll see um, ERA is lower than that. So, you know, that's kind of my, my, my uh, takeaway on Gosman for Manoa. I think he kind of brings more of the durability uh, element to that more than the flawlessness that we see with Gosman. And he's, he's looked great this year again, right? He's looked so composed. 
again, he never really looked like a rookie, but he's been awesome. Uh, you know, and the durability factor is, is, is one of his biggest strengths, right? He threw his first 23 career starts. Uh, he's only gone less than five innings, four times. Um, one of those was an ejection against Baltimore, um, which fans will remember. I mean, he looks, he looks like a workhorse already. Uh, he's pitched six innings in each of his three starts this season. And maybe while you, by the time you're listening to this on Friday, uh, he'll have thrown another good start against, uh, against a division rival. I um, mean, he looks like a workhorse, you know, his 10.1 strikeouts per nine. I imagine that'll continue. It's been a little bit down, uh, narrowly this year, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think a top five for both of them is bold, but I don't think it's too unrealistic. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, like, who else is probably in that conversation. I'm certainly going to miss someone, but I think Logan Gilbert's got, like, a .4 ERA right now. I just had, like, some contenders. ESPN does, like, a Cy Young predictor, which is this purely mathematic formula that's clearly purely mathematic as we look at Logan Gilbert appears to be number one which checks out Joe Ryan uh I'm pretty high on big strikeout young guy rookie uh, of the year candidate he's number two the top blue jay number seven on the rankings Adam Simber with his nine innings six strikeouts and 2.0 ERA it must factor in wins I believe him leading the league uh in wins is probably why he's up there not too far behind him is Jordan Romano yeah, that's I could actually see Romano getting Cy Young close this year, especially if he logs like 85 if he innings, pitches 145 <laughs> saves or something like that. But yeah, with on the two guys you kind of touched on, I agree with what we've seen so far. There's nothing to believe that they can't be Cy Young candidates. They'll probably both get votes if they keep up even anything close to these seasons. It's just where they kind of fall on that ranking. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing of Gosman is. This is kind of exactly what Gosman was for the first half last year. In his first 18 starts, he had a 1.7 ERA. Mm -hmm. And then the back half of the season, he kind of fell off. Was still a very solid, usable starter. 4.4 ERA, definitely Mm -hmm. not the same dominant guy. So if we get a string of 15 really good Kevin Gosman starts to start this season, I think one thing to have your guard up for and to monitor is how he maintains that throughout the season. Is that guy's adapting to the splitter, seeing it more, or is that kind of a a durability thing that Mm -hmm. he'll kind of get over as he becomes more of this workhorse? Yeah. It looks like just based on those splits that the home run ball was a big factor. Um, And obviously Gosman hasn't allowed a home run yet. He will eventually. Um, Yeah. That's a, that's actually a really, a really good point to, uh, to point out um, that he did fade down the stretch with San Francisco last year. Um, I don't know what his career innings would look like in terms of like, is that the biggest workload he's ever, you know, taken on? Um, I think he was, yeah, he kind of logged innings oh, yeah. for a bit there back in the Baltimore days, but he's never reached 200 last yeah. year was the most he pitched. I, mean, I, he, I don't think he was the same pitcher back then though. Was he? No, he was kind of a fastball, fastball guy. Yeah. It's really all he had. It got kind of remarkable that in a modern baseball climate, he was able to post like actually RAs only throwing a fastball. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's bound, it's bound for some regression, but uh, you know, he looks good in a field that, you know, if Logan Gilbert and Joe Ryan are the other contenders, like I I'm picking Gosman over those guys and like Garrett Cole as well. Another guy who, you know, without his special sauce, <laughs> as they call it, uh, you know, there's some doubts about what he'll be able to do. I mean, I'm sure by the end of the season, Cole will have good numbers. He always, you know, seems to. And, um, but yeah, I think top five, Manoa Gosman. I don't think that's too unrealistic. Um, but, you know, you have another 
hot take that uh, that you'd like to share with listeners as well. Yeah, speaking of kind of a, a tale of two halves, we have a guy who really came on and kind of feeds into my prediction from what I've seen so far. And I believe Lourdes Gurriel Jr. will be an all-star this year. And everyone's probably like, how is that a first half or a first couple of games of reaction? He hasn't looked that good. The stats haven't been that amazing, kind of in line with what he finished with last year. But my takeaway is more in the approach. Uh, I don't know if you've kind of seen it too. I'm sure uh, we're seeing kind of similar things, but Lourdes, unlike ever before, has a lot of really competitive takes this year. I believe he looked, it was either before yesterday's game or the game before, he was like number two on the team in whiff rate, uh, on the positive side. (laughs) Not that he was (laughs) whiffing the second most on the team. He was having kind of the least swings and misses, the least whiffs. Uh, I forget who was behind, probably Vlad, um, on the team. And that's not the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. we've known so far, but it was the Lourdes that we saw in the second half last year, the guy who out of nowhere looked like an MVP candidate, was kind of the cleanup hitter for this uh, team at times, was really carrying them towards the postseason until his hand got stomped on. Uh, But I asked GM Ross Atkins about if he's seen kind of anything different from Lourdes, and he echoed what I was seeing with my eye test. Obviously, he's not going to trash his own player, so take this with a grain of salt, but he said he saw the same guy from the second half so far this year. The power has only really come in one home run, but it seems like he's starting to get the swing on, and Atkins said... It's a much more patient approach with a very aggressive, electric, high bat speed swing. Uh, Atkins said to me, that looks like one of the better offensive players in the game right now. And on a lineup that has a bunch of the better offensive players in the game, I think if Guriel keeps these kind of competitive at-bats up, lets the power come to him, uh, he could very easily be an all-star this season. Yeah, because just before the podcast, I mean, we looked at what the floor was for Lourdes. You know, he's... He's only had really one full season and that was last year, but you know, he's been a, a guy that's hit for above and a hundred OPS plus, you know, well above actually every single season uh, that he's played in the majors. So, you know, the, the talent is there. He's a little prone to hot and cold stretches. Um, and I think like being a high whiff guy, that's, that's probably, you know, the name of the game. You're going to swing and miss a ton for a little stretch. And then, you know, you're just going to hit a lot of bombs, which Lourdes did in September last year. Um, I don't, I don't know which Lourdes is more valuable. I mean, obviously you want to have a guy who, um, you know, makes a lot of contact, has strong plate discipline, which, you know, it's, a, it's funny to be talking about Lourdes with, with plate discipline, but um, you don't want the heaters to go away. Right. That's the thing. I mean, it was nice to see Lourdes hit his second home run of the year mm-hmm. uh, just a couple nights ago. Um, that was, that was really promising. Um, but so back to your prediction, I guess, what do you think the biggest obstacle to a Lourdes Gurriel all-star appearance would be? Aside from a Randall Grishik cleat, um, <laughs> uh, I think it's probably finding this balance of the aggressiveness and the takes, like he doesn't want to be taking strikes. That's the last thing he wants to be doing. Cause it's not him. And it's interesting. Cause I've kind of noticed this new approach, the more patient approach, but it's not really showing up in the walks. He still has 15 strikeouts to three walks. So maybe it's showing up more in him waiting for his pitch to hit. And I think that's probably the sweet spot for Lourdes is not turning into this high walk rate guy, not mm-hmm. having a 7%, 10% walk rate. It's just not swinging at those really uncompetitive sliders away and the change ups that are way below the zone and just getting, he's a really good off-speed hitter. 
So wait for the, the off-speed and breaking pitches in the zone or near the zone, and then being able to catch up to the fastball, I think is the sweet spot for him. Yeah, definitely our fair share of Lourdes, like ridiculous swings at like ridiculous pitches. Um, yeah, but you're right. He's a decent breaking ball hitter. And um, if he can just, you know, narrow that down to a zone, because he's, he's very talented offensively. He's just a natural baseball guy who's just hit his whole life. Um, I think, you know, what he can do will be very special. Uh, with this new approach so you know again overreactions right yeah, we're true. still we, very early but a 20 sombreros in a row here <laughs> a 20 game sample isn't nothing so uh that'll be that'll be something to look forward to do you want to uh hit the listeners with your next big one yeah i can't tell if this is more or less bold than my other one i would say probably more bold and this is more blue jays adjacent it's not a, a blue jay hot take but it's very relevant for toronto uh my early season hot take is that neither the Red Sox or the Rays will be making the expanded postseason this year. Uh, I feel a little bit more confident with the Boston call there just because we've seen Boston a lot this year. And honestly, they haven't impressed. We haven't seen Tanner Houck for obvious reasons in Toronto. We haven't seen Chris Sale at all this year. Uh, so maybe that's why they've looked a little uh, less good. But I haven't been particularly scared of the Red Sox. They have a pretty deep lineup, but it really falls off. And there's not a whole lot of depth after those top five, six hitters, they got guys like Tristan Cassis and Jaron Duran, who we were talking about the other day in the minors, but they don't seem particularly interested in getting them to the majors well, even, anytime even soon. Duran, who wasn't a great hitter last year. Right? Yeah, I, I think he's more of like the fourth outfield defense type at this point in his career. And that's not really what they need. They got that in Jackie Bradley mm -hmm. Jr. They need mm -hmm. some offense and they need depth in starting pitching which are two things that I think you're going to need in the American League East and they don't have right now. In terms of the Rays, the Rays are probably going to make the playoffs and make me look like a fool here, but it's just I've seen enough from teams like the Mariners and the Angels and even mm -hmm. the Twins that it doesn't seem like that third AL wildcard spot is going to be a cakewalk this year that mm -hmm. a lot of people thought it would be. Everyone just kind of wrote off the entire American League Central. And the Twins, I believe, are first in the Central right now. They're slightly above 500, so take that for what you will. But they're a team that's trying to win. They got Carlos Correa. And then there's some good teams out West that are going to push for those playoff spots. So I think uh, after the Yankees and Blue Jays, who have both kind of looked the part so far this season, uh, I'm not particularly sold on the American League getting the four wildcard spots that they would have had last year. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of exciting young teams like Toronto is, I, I think Seattle's a really cool team. I believe like, I, they're kind of the opposite of what they were last year. They had no run differential and now they got the best run differential in the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Toronto's actually not killing it in run differential. I guess they had a couple like. Yes. Game probably. <laughs> yeah. Help that, that doesn't yeah. help. They got beat up by Texas in one game, which is far from ideal. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I guess I would agree with you. Uh, I think it's really difficult to count out Tampa Bay, but in terms of the Boston prediction, I mean, here's the thing with Boston though. Like I think most people were ready to write them off at the beginning of last season too. And they looked at this roster and they said, mm, like, it's not phenomenal, right? Like, I think you agree. There are some good players like Bogarts has been an excellent contact hitter so far this year. He's been great. JD Martinez has always got some good power. Um, Devers has kind of been a little slow to start this year. Um, but you know, he's, we basically call he's basically left-handed hitting Vlad, right? Like he, he is young and he's dynamic and he's a, he's an exceptional hitter. So he'll come around eventually. Um, but yeah, people counted 
the Red Sox out last year, the same way I think like teams like Seattle got counted out, just like teams that people wouldn't have expected to make the playoffs and they went on a big run and uh, things worked out for them. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get in your way with the Boston prediction, I guess, but with Tampa, who knows? They're, they're so pesky. And I think we really need to see a Tampa Toronto series. I'm not, I'm not quite sure when, when that'll happen. Um, But I think, you know, how Toronto, Toronto's pitching matches up against Tampa. I think that'll be interesting. I mean, Manoa dominated Tampa a couple times. Like if you could have a couple tone setting outings like that, I think maybe that could, that could push it forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I I was kind of looking at Tampa's schedule as well too. And they've kind of had a soft schedule. They are, I believe 10 and eight right now, but that's after sweeping Baltimore and playing a couple easier teams. I think the more impressive thing, but what Toronto's done right now, aside from being 12 and seven without Teoscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen, that they've had by my eye test maybe the hardest schedule in the league i haven't Mm -hmm. looked at the strength of Mm -hmm. schedule rankings or anything like that and i'm sure they're a little flawed because it's only been 19 games but uh i am interested to see what the rays have to do when they do play a team like toronto when they start playing uh the yankees a little bit more yeah i'm just pulling up ethan's pulling up the strength of schedule here we'll check my uh... uh Is it supposed to be like this is easy? Yeah, like, so it looks or like or this is the, this is difficult. Yeah, Arizona has had the hardest strength of schedule in the league. Yeah, okay. which the thing is, this early in the season, it's just gonna be the it's worst a, teams are gonna be at the top because they've been giving wins to all the other teams. Yeah, it's true. It's gonna be based on win loss, right? So like, mm-hmm. Toronto has technically had the fifth easiest schedule in baseball. I, but that's because they've kind of been the fifth best team. In baseball, or is this? Kind of. Yeah, I don't know if this is. Anyway tankathon.com slash MLB. Uh, that's what we're looking at right now. Um, yeah, so it'll be it'll be definitely interesting to follow uh, that going forward. Toronto typically always has a hard schedule being in the American League East, though that will change next year, right? Next year? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it will, that'll be exciting to see how, how it changes. Um, my last overreaction, um, and this one may get, get the fans a little excited, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, um, I'm willing to wager how much, mm, not that much. <laughs> I can't afford that much. Uh, that Gabby Moreno, obviously Toronto's best prospect. I'm going to wager that he gets American league rookie of the year votes. Now I'm not saying he's going to win the award, um, but I think he's going to get a few votes. And I think the reason he's not going to win is because he's not going to play enough games to really, you know, have that much of an impact. Um, so I basically comp it to kind of like what Wander Franco did last year. You know, he came up and he was phenomenal and he only played 70 games, but, uh, you know, he, he hit 288, he had a 347 OBP with a 463 slug. Like, I think if Moreno comes up and he gets the playing time that he needs, he can, I think he can match that. I think he can match that slash line. Uh, I don't know about the power. I mean, Moreno has like minor league power. I think, I think he's more a contact guy. So it'll be interesting to see he may, he, most of his slugging will probably come from extra base hits. I don't know if he'll, he'll kind of be like an Alejandro Kirk a little bit in terms of mm-hmm. um, his hitting profile a little bit. Obviously they play different styles of defense. Um, so yeah, I would say playing time is probably the only obstacle to that. Uh, you know, even if he plays 50 games, I could still see him, you know, dazzling to the point that, you know, he'll get a few votes thrown his way. Um yeah, it's just when Toronto calls him up, I guess. Like, Jansen's out. He'll be back soon enough. Um, Zach Collins has done an okay job, you know, filling in. 
I think you and I have quite enjoyed, you know, talking to him and, Mm -hmm. uh, and his kind of run here with Toronto, but I think there's always this concern that maybe it's not permanent, right. You know, that maybe he'll regress to what we've seen um, in the past, but until then he's, he's doing a good job. Um, Obviously Tyler Heineman is kind of holding that third catching spot for now. He's not a long-term option, but he's been helpful on defense and kind of as, as a veteran and uh, a part-time magician in, in the clubhouse. Uh, he does card tricks for the whole team. Heineman does. And uh, I talked to him yesterday for a story that'll be coming out um, for Yahoo Sports. He, he mentioned that he did. He started doing his card tricks in 2015 during a rain delay in the Dominican winter league game and uh, everyone loved it. And so he said, Hey, this is fun. I'm going to just be the card trick guy. So he said, Teo, Teo Oscar likes his card tricks. He said, Jano had his mind blown a few times and Vlad, Vlad will come up to him and be like, Hey, we need, we need one of these. <laughs> so he said, we don't that, need a big hit. We need a card, we trick. Need a card <laughs> trick. Um, they could have used him when Kiermaier took that card last year. Yeah. Just swipe swap it, it back a little sleight of hand. Check, your, check your pockets. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, back to, back to Moreno. Um, yeah. The defense is there. I think like we we've seen plenty of compilations of him making exceptional plays, throwing guys out very clean, like pop to second. Um, I, I, the only, the only thing would be maybe the catching makes it difficult for him to contribute as a hitter. Like, the only thing I being harder than being a rookie is being a rookie catcher. I think adjusting to a, a really dominant pitching staff and like a veteran pitching staff too, that you're not like learning alongside, like these guys have their routines. They have their preferences. Like you better get used to what, you know, they're, they do. Right. So um, I think that's, that could cloud all of this, but overall optimistic that Moreno comes up this year and makes such an impact that you know he could get a few votes yeah i think from a talent perspective if he gets enough playing time no question that he can rise to the top of the rookie class i think the only two things that might prevent your early overreaction from coming to fruition is that kind of frustratingly the rookie of the year vote is for some reason the ballot is only three guys and so all the people voting kind of have to choose if they want to go the obvious one, two, and then put like a respect vote for a third guy just to get him on the board. It's kind of weird. If it was five, I think he would for sure be like a lot of people's fours, a lot of people's fives behind people who played full seasons. And the other thing I think is kind of what you just mentioned. If this is like a 95 win Blue Jays team and they're calling Gabriel Moreno up in late July, early August, how much do you want to be giving him the reins to the pitching staff in like a hugely important pennant race? I think if they call him up, it would either have to be by necessity because someone's injured and they just like need a catcher that can hit mm-hmm. or they ease them in with some DH up bats or something yeah. like that. I, I think it's going to be an interesting test of Moreno and the trust the organization has in his game calling if they call him up and he's immediately catching two times a week. Yeah, yeah. I feel like an Alejandro Kirk injury would like fill the perfect, like Moreno would fill that void perfectly, right? Like I think that's kind of how Toronto, I think they perceive those guys kind of similarly in terms of like, they bring a lot on offense, but we're still like a little shaky on the defense to the point that we need other catchers. And then we're going to DH you because we like your value there. Um, But Charlie Montoya did say something interesting yesterday on that. 
Heineman's kind of on the roster to be a defensive replacement catcher. Everyone kind of knows it. He, he started yesterday, but aside from that, they're bringing him in late game situations, but only really for Zach Collins. So I think they are beginning to trust Kirk more and more, yeah. and he's kind of been really thrown into the fire this year with the Jansen injury. So yeah. we'll see what the, the trust in his defense is in a couple yeah. months. Yeah, a small bit of shade there by Charlie on Zach Collins' defense. But, like, I think I think Collins understands that, too. Like, I think he knows that, you know, his biggest strength is his bat, mm-hmm. his power. And, uh, you know, he had the first baseman's mitt on yesterday, and he's going to take, you know, ground balls and take some reps there because I think he will eventually start playing games at first base. Um, situation dependent, of course. Um, but back to Kirk, yeah, he he is literally the best receiver in the game on low strikes like that i mean take take it for what you will with Statcast framing metrics but based on savant's framing metrics kirk is the best in the entire league at stealing that low strike for his pitchers i mean that that like that alone is a critical element i think to guys you know like manoa who throw throw the two seam who throw the sinker and and gosman who throws the splitter um i think that's huge I mean, Gosman does like to work high. He's mentioned that like people have asked him, you know, what's it like having Kirk catching the low strikes? And he's like, well, you know, I'm kind of a high strike guy with my fastball. And then the splitter tumbles off. But still, um, yeah, Kirk agreed. They are trusting him quite a bit more with with his defense. Um, But yeah, and back to Moreno, I I think hopefully we'll see him. And it's unfortunate that there there are only three spots. And then you take last year, for example, where like, Randy Rosarena run one rookie of the year and he, you know, he was already a, a playoff hero and he was kind of not really a rookie. Um, I, you know, I could sound like an old head, like yelling at, at the sky, but like technically, you know, he, he's technically a rookie, but um, not so much. So an experience. Um, yeah. So that's my, th- th- that's kind of my last prediction, but sticking with the, uh, the theme of Moreno and kind of the minor league team, Mitch and I actually, uh, took a little trip to Buffalo um, last Saturday to to take a look at Moreno and take a look at the minor league team. And um, it ultimately was a pretty crappy game for, for Buffalo. You know, they made, they made a couple of errors. Um, they kind of, they came back a little bit to really only make the game longer for Mitch and I and get us home later because uh, they, they didn't win. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll go back to to Moreno in a second, but Mitch, who are some of the other guys that you thought stood up? Yeah, we kind of went down, obviously wanting to talk to Gabby because just to see what he's like. But then we had a bunch of other guys that we wanted to chat with. The, the Bison's team, I would say maybe this is just my opinion. The New Hampshire team is the most fun team. Maybe the Dunedin yeah. or the New Hampshire team is yeah. the most fun team this year, just with names, but like the variance of some of the prospects there. But the Bison's team has a lot of guys that are going to play in the big leagues this year. Naturally, we've already seen Don Francis, Andrew Vasquez get called up. We saw Heineman get called up. I believe he started there. So there, there's a lot of guys who we're going to see in Toronto this year that we also wanted to go and talk to. Uh, one guy who we're not probably going to see in Toronto this year, at least playing for the Blue Jays that I went and talked to, was Greg Bird. <laughs> he happened to be playing for the Yankees affiliate there. And I'm like, this is a great time. I'll go talk to him about what happened at the end of spring. I talked to him a few times in the spring training, so I'd already my face was a, was a familiar face maybe. And so he would tell me what kind of happened. And he did, he was super open about it. He said he was basically ready to sign back with the blue Jays after they told him he was not going to make the team at the end of spring training. He was going to, he opted for free agency to go see if there was a big league deal out there. There was not, he had a really strong spring training, but no one was willing to offer him a big league deal. 
So he was going to just re-sign a minor league deal with the Jays until the Yankees came calling. His old team, uh, a team that does not have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base, mm-hmm. and a team that doesn't have a whole lot of position player depth on their 40-man roster. Uh, Bird kind of said that was the main reason he chose the Jays, or the Yankees over the Jays, but he gave a lot of respect he, uh, to the Blue Jays organization, said they made him better, and it was a fun conversation to see kind of that thought process from a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <clears throat> kind of shows you what goes into these guys making these types of decisions, right? Like um, you'd think Greg Bird, you know, would maybe the guy like him snap at kind of the first deal that comes his way or he, but, you know, he thought it out. He looked at the roster and he said, Hey, there's maybe a better avenue for me to make the majors on the Yankees. And it's, it's familiar to him. And um, I think both you and I were a little surprised when Toronto went with Ghost K. Coteau over Greg Bird uh, to start the season. Now um, Coteau's brought uh, different elements to the team. Uh, that Bird obviously couldn't bring, um, but on the on the contract point, yeah, it's it's cool to learn his thought process, and I think you know th- there's a little bit more to it. Like when we when you spoke to Andrew Vasquez in spring, right? You talked to him about because he signed after the lockout, right? Yes, he was like their first signing post lockout. Yeah, and he, he said, you know, I had some deals before. There was some stuff on the table for me before lockout, but like I decided to wait and like worked out for him Toronto ended up giving him a, a major league contract um so yeah it was cool to talk to Greg Bird um or well I didn't talk to him you spoke to him it was cool that you got to speak to him um he was one of the guys that you know stood out because he hit a was a three-run home run a big huge run right field yeah it was a tank. <laughs> he mashed a home run so it seems like every time we watch Greg Bird when spring training because he hit a bunch of homers then and you know when we go to Buffalo he put on a show for us so hat tip to Greg Bird um he stood out it was kind of a sloppy game for buffalo so nothing really else stood out but we looked at moreno quite um quite closely and basically talking to him and talking to casey candell who uh, has had a long playing career has been a coach for a long time he's really got that you know that hardened baseball veteran perspective and so he's seen a lot a lot of players come by and i basically asked him um, and, and I had a, a long chat with him. I, I said, you know, how do you know, how do you know that you have a gem on your team? Essentially, how do you know that this guy is better than all the other players that have come through um, and played for you in the minor leagues? And he told me um, that Moreno has these elite instincts, stuff that you don't teach. So Charlie would like it because he would say you don't teach that, you know, he has it. Um, so once Moreno comes up, I'm sure Charlie will love him. But yeah, Moreno has these elite instincts. And, and Casey pointed to this one play that Moreno made um, on the Friday before we showed up where, you know, it was a pitch in the dirt. There was a runner shuffling off of second base and a pitch in the dirt. Moreno backpicked it or excuse me. Well, he ended up back and p- picking it. He scooped the ball and he shuffled around the left-handed hitter and then fired a throw to second to, to get the guy on the back pick. Great throw, great play, phenomenal. But there was more to it because once Moreno got back, you know, he, he had the wherewithal to explain it to uh, his infielder, Josh Fuentes, and said, hey, listen, like, I knew I had to fire a high throw there uh, because Sean Anderson hadn't ducked down, and he's huge. He's six foot six. He's a Noah Syndergaard lookalike. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so Moreno was able to see that all within a fraction of a second. Um, and basically Casey said, those elite guys, you know, they don't come along very often. And he sees a lot of, a lot of hope, uh, for Moreno. 
uh, and he could see him as a future leader. And he says he said he had and this was a really one of the more important um, quotes that I got from it. He said uh, he has the power to, to shake up the culture, to shift the culture. Um, he says you've seen it with with Vlad and with Bo already. He says Moreno is a guy that can can shake it up. Um, but that, so he stood out. Obviously, Moreno did. Um, but that's not to say that Casey wasn't going hard on him because um, Moreno was removed for a pinch hitter in the fifth inning. He was DHing the game that that we were at, and uh, you know we never really got kind of a straight answer from Casey on why that was. He said he just felt he needed to make a change, which. I think was translation for, um, yeah, we, it was a bit of discipline for Moreno, not running out a ball uh, that he roasted off the wall in left field. Um, we thought out of the box, it was a double. He got thrown out by a mile at second base. Um, I, I guess he wasn't hustling a ton out of the box, very speculative, but it seemed like it was a discipline move by Casey. Um, I don't know. What, what did you, what did you like from, from Moreno in that short game that we saw him in? Yeah, I think it was the hard contact, obviously, is what stood out. But it was also kind of interesting to see his routines and how he's just mm-hmm. like one of the catchers there. He's still got to kind of do his job day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was pulled aside because someone needed a catcher to catch a bullpen. Like he was doing other workout, but they needed a guy. So he's still like very much a AAA guy right now. They're not holding him to some other standard because of what he can be. Uh which I think is probably what you want. You don't want to pamper these guys or you don't want to treat them like anything other than what they are. He's just mm-hmm. a dude playing baseball, trying to make the big leagues like everybody else. Uh, one kind of interesting trend that Moreno said and another guy, Samad Taylor, I talked to said, it's kind of the priority that the team is putting on two-strike approach and like discipline. And it makes sense. A guy like Moreno can hit everything, every mm-hmm. single ball. It can be six inches away from the zone. And he's probably going to make contact. Uh, I'm sure Taylor, too, is a guy like that who's a kind of a free-swinging guy who's been able to make his bread hitting every single pitch on the way up of the minors. But at this level, at AAA, they're kind of training guys to be ready for the big leagues and knowing that you're going to face big league pitching. You're still not facing big league pitching right now, but you got to refine your, refine your approach and stay within yourself. Stay within the pitches you can hit. Obviously, the ones in the strike zone are the ones that the strike zone says you can hit, but knowing which pitches to kind of lay off of and refining your approach and preparing for the big leagues in a level where these guys still could probably hit 320 if they wanted to, if they were to swing at everything, but it's getting that big league approach uh, is something that I think is going to be the next offensive step for Moreno. He's basically already there on the mm-hmm. offensive side. We know the defensive things he has to do, but that's kind of the last cherry on top for his offense, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and, and Samad Taylor, who you spoke with, he shared an interesting nugget, right. And in, in that with three, two counts, you know, he realized that he had been chasing everything. And so that was a change that he wanted to make. I mean, um, ultimately <laughs> it didn't uh, show itself. I think, I, I think he took a, three, took a, twice. <laughs> yeah, I think he took a sombrero in the game we were watching, but like a ton of guys struck out that game for Buffalo. So not, not a great example, but what were your big takeaways, I guess, from uh, your conversation with Smod? Yeah, I think I'm probably going to write something up about it, so I don't want to give too much away, mm. but I think it was kind of that, that they that the organization came to him with some data right before the season on his approach and specific counts, 3-2 is one of them, and asked him to make a change. And he's a guy who's did not make the 40-man roster last year. He's a guy who had a really strong double-A season. Everyone was, or a lot of people were high on, everyone thought he would be this utility infield outfield kind of right-handed Otto Lopez type that they put on the 40-man roster as depth, Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen for him. So 
there's still some things they want him to do. And so far this season, he's seeing a lot of success, especially with the plate discipline. And so it'll be interesting to see if that keeps up and if he then gets put on the 40-man roster at some point this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, well, Lopez is ahead of him, right? That's kind of like what we've, we've deduced or deducted. What's the word? I think both of those are right. Those are right. Okay, <laughs> good. Good. I usually have I'll have uh, spell check help me out on those ones. Um, yeah. So Samad, hopefully we'll see because he's a really dynamic talent. He's got speed. He's got plate discipline. Um, he's shown that, and uh, it seems like he's working on it too. Going forward, though, um, Toronto is going to wrap up. By the time you're listening to this, Toronto will have wrapped up its uh, its four game series against Boston. Um, and then going forward, you know, the, the rotation hasn't been set at the time of this podcast. I'm sure, you know, the second we're done recording, we'll get an email with uh, the probable pitchers. Mitch is just going to double check that. We have not gotten the email yet. <laughs> yeah, well, we have not gotten the email. That's that's for sure. Um, but we can kind of assume that it's going to be Kikuchi on Friday, I believe. And then Barrios. And then the rotation would come around back to Gosman. But that is, of course, dependent on Hunjin Ryu's health. Now, he's been throwing bullpens. Um, Charlie said he was in good spirits yesterday. He said he didn't talk to him specifically about how he felt about the injury. Just said that Ryu was feeling, was feeling good and he, he was in a good mood, which kind of always seems like he is. Pretty, pretty uh, chill guy. Um, but yeah, so with Ryu's injury, um, you always want to be delicate with forearm stuff. And the velocity was way down in that last start that he had um, against Oakland. So it'll be something to watch going forward, but <laughs> he's coming back to the rotation. I can, I can tell you that I asked Ross, you know, is there any thought of what he gives you out of the bullpen? And he gave me the, uh, the that's a clown question, bro. <laughs> With his eyes, of course, he's a polite guy. So he would never straight up say that to me, uh, <laughs> but he said, no, we're not, we're not thinking about the bullpen at all. He's, he's guaranteed coming back to the rotation. Um, and then you kind of followed up a little bit about, you know, are they still going to roll with a six man rotation? Uh, do you remember what Ross said there? Yeah, definitely not a straight answer. Yeah. So they'll see what they need to do. They're still in the midst of this kind of 30 days or 30 games in 31 days. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the way that Stripling's pitched the mm -hmm. last three outings. Yeah, he's been good. That they give him once Ryu comes back at least one more turn, especially because I doubt Ryu's a guy that goes and pitches uh, a rehab start. Maybe he, he comes off one more turn through the rotation and he comes back into the rotation immediately and they mm -hmm. just ha manicure him and give him five innings and really uh, take a, mm. a solid look at him. But I think they'll probably keep stripling in. This is just my guess. I don't really have anything on this aside from mm -hmm. what Atkins was saying uh, that they keep stripling in the rotation because he has been good. And then if Ryu still doesn't look the part, you have the guy lined up for that day. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's just kind of a safety net and it's a long season. You're going to need Ross Stripling <laughs> starts. Why not use yeah. one here uh, when he's going? We know Ross Stripling can kind of go through these hot and cold streaks yeah. and he, he finds it and then he loses it and then he finds it again. So take the starts while he's found mm -hmm. it. Okay. This is just something that came to my mind, stupid or not, but what are your thoughts on a Ross Stripling opener for Ryu? Do you think that's something that would ever happen? Because I think... Uh, I mean, that would kill like your, your six man expanded rotation. But, you know, if you get, let's say three, four scoreless from stripling, and then you put Ryu in for, you know, a few innings afterwards, do you think that could help Ryu or do you think that would work against him? 
I think Ryu is such like a creature of habit. Like mm. he doesn't even really throw side sessions. He's got his uh, his plan, his routine, like down to such a science that I don't think he would be super thrilled about that. I, and I also don't know. I feel like you then lose all of the benefits of keeping stripling in the rotation mm. without gaining any of that extra rest mm-hmm. and extra like kind of what it does for the rest of your rotation. Guys like Barrios and Gosman, probably Manoa too, are going to want to go every five days. They don't like really care about the extra day rest. Uh, Kikuchi, I'm not really sure. We don't know his routine nearly as much. We haven't seen him as much. Is Ryu, Ryu's a guy who likes the extra rest. He he likes it, and I think there's kind of this common misconception that like he pitches better with the extra day of rest. I, I don't think the I numbers think, I think bear we've that looked out. at the splits, and that's that's not been yeah. the case. I think last year hurt him in that respect because down the stretch they kept giving him that extra day, and he kept mm. not having great starts. So yeah. maybe that narrative changed last year. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't hate the the idea of an opener in front of Ryu. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if Stripling's the guy. I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe like a Julian Merriweather, yes. a guy who's just the exact opposite of Ryu. So you're hard telling me right. Brad Hand should be the opener. Yeah, yeah that's. Ex- I think they should. I don't even know. Brad Hand's in Philly now or something. <laughs> they should offer a couple prospects to get him back and he can open the game. But yeah, I think you probably don't use that because especially with the state of the pen right now, they got kind of some mm-hmm. long guys. Thornton, Bound Bon Francis is in it right now. So Sato's on the team right now. You can eat innings if it goes sideways. I think you really want to see they got a year and three quarters left of Hyunjin Ryu paying them a lot of money. Yeah. You don't want to get into panic button using openers. What type of precedent does that say? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, well, I was just kidding anyways with the stripling <laughs> thing, man. I was just testing you. So, like, you passed, you passed the test. It was a bad idea to begin with. <laughs> um, yeah, the last thing I guess we would do a quick roundup on is uh, on the Blue Jays injuries a little bit. Hmm. Um Everyone, everyone was hitting or throwing a live BP last time we kind of checked in. Um, I think Shai Davidi reported yesterday that Teoscar is eyeing a return in the Cleveland series. Mm-hmm. That begins um, May 5th. Um, so pretty, pretty optimistic um, timeline for Teo. I think when we saw how, how severely he was injured or like he was visibly injured for another guy who's like a gamer and would never want to come out. You know, he, he was hurt. He was hurt bad. And, uh, you know, for him to go in the IL, you know, on April 14, and we're talking about him returning three weeks later, I, I, think, I think that's an all, right, uh, an all right timeline. And Toronto's held the lineup has held its own when he's been gone. Yeah, I think Guriel and Collins have unexpectedly stepped into that cleanup role mm-hmm. and given Vlad protection. There's still people aren't really pitching to Vlad right now. And I think Teo coming back would definitely change that. Mm -hmm. Have to start pitching to him a little bit more. But yet, Teo, this is going to be the second time in three years that he's bouncing back from a seemingly really bad oblique injury Mm -hmm. uh, with maybe no rehab games needed, maybe a a quicker than anticipated return. So I don't, this guy's got obliques of steel or something (laughs) like that, that he's bouncing back. He's got to teach the rest of the roster how to keep their obliques in this tip-top shape because it seems like that's the main injury right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, Danny Jansen sounds like he's just behind Teo. I don't know what that means. We've, we've seen him run. He's caught a bullpen. I don't think he's swung yet, though. I think T-work. I think they're yeah. doing T-work, which means the next step is probably live BP, and the next step after that, or, or maybe regular BP, and the next step is like a high-velocity machine of some kind. I would guess that Jansen will need 
uh, rehab games. Teo sounds like it's kind of up to him mm -hmm. whether or not he, he feels good after facing the high velo machine. Jansen, I bet they give him a series in yeah. Dunedin or something like that. The other guys, Kevin Biggio, we have no news on. Yeah, uh, he, he's tested positive for COVID. Yes, and I guess that is news. That's that's it. I think, I, and I believe it's you. You could come back a minimum of five days after a negative test. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to get updates on stuff like that. Um, so he has COVID, and when he feels better, and when he tests negative, you know he'll return to Toronto. Yeah, and then on the pitching side, Ryan Barucki, Lister tried to pitch through it, <laughs> couldn't pitch through it. Uh, tried to use tape on his finger which is a, which uh, apparently we, legal yeah so which we were concerned if that's allowed or not but uh apparently it was apparently it didn't work um you know he's a guy who throws hard sinkers and um i imagine you know <laughs> pretty significant for his fingers and uh his hands to be in tip-top shape like most pitchers so that was clearly too much um and you know i mean it's also convenient that they just used him for uh, an inning that was pretty uh, high stress inning for him he walked a couple guys but got a couple strikeouts and then so now he'll get a little rest on the il vasquez came up uh you know bowden francis is up to a bunch of guys vasquez was all right he ran into a bit of bad luck on uh on wednesday but yeah there's there's some a lot of guys who have come in and helped out but uh toronto's still doing well and i think that's i think that's the bottom line um, so when, uh, when you folks are listening to this, Toronto could be 12 and eight, or they could be 13 and seven. Um, either way, it's been an excellent season for Toronto so far. Um, we, we gave our bold predictions, you know, if, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you're probably happy if there's a couple Cy Youngs. And if, I mean, if you're, um, very petty, maybe you'd get a little extra pride out of the Red Sox and Rays not making the playoffs, but, uh. You know, bottom line, this is a team that is set up well for the present and with Gabby Moreno for the future. Yeah, so thanks for listening again, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.